Welcome to Book Talk, produced by the Better Living Institute and sponsored by AppJudo for your app software needs, BulletPad for building lists on your iPad, and also supported by donations from our listeners, folks like you. We're Kira and Bill Van Ittersom, and today's book is The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, The Practical Guide to Fulfillment of Your Dreams by Deepak Chopra, copyrighted in 1993. So this book is a companion book to Deepak Chopra's book called Creating Affluence, The A to Z Steps to a Richer Life. And please see our podcast for that book as well. We sure had a great time with it, and we hope you'll enjoy it too. So in this one, Deepak uses the principles of that Creating Affluence book, and he expounds on it to actually give you seven spiritual laws for creating success in your life. He says that these seven spiritual laws actually form the essence of the creating affluence teaching. Absolutely. In the book Flyleaf, he says that once we understand our true nature and learn to live in harmony with natural law, a sense of well-being, good health, fulfilling relationships, Energy and enthusiasm for life and material abundance will spring forth easily and effortlessly. So notice that he didn't say, you'll have all the money in the world. (laughs) He talked about all of the other things and all of the other attributes that bring us happiness and abundance in addition to money. But the material will flow just as easily. He says, seek first all of these wonderful gifts and money will be a byproduct of your seeking and of your finding. There's a great quote at the beginning, and this is from the Upanishad. You are what your deep driving desire is. As your desire is, so is your will. As your will is, so is your deed. As your deed is, so is your destiny. And again, this is why he suggests go for those wonderful spiritual godlike qualities and the joy and the happiness first, because you will then be a pure child of God. Right. You can't get much purer than that. And that quote, by the way, is from one of the Upanishads. So in the introduction to the book, Chopra actually wrote what he means by success. He said success could be defined as a continued expansion of happiness and the progressive realization of worthy goals. It's the ability to fulfill your desires with effortless ease. So once again, Chopra's giving us a steps to success journal here so that we can follow it one step at a time. We can begin to fulfill our own wishes and our own desires. One thing that I noticed is that this book is more verbal, it is more thought process and explanation than his previous book, Creating Affluence, which was the A to Z steps to a richer life. And in that book, there were actual A to Z steps or definitions, and it flowed very, very quickly and quite smoothly, not that this doesn't, but this has more food for thought. And it has more things for both the conscious mind and the unconscious mind to grapple with. Deepak says that most of us think of success as a process that requires hard work, and it is often achieved at the expense of others. 
But he goes on to say that this is just not true if you follow the aspects of the inner being and you seek, again, as Kira said, the happiness and joy and zest for life and living. And I think actually in the previous book, he did point out a lot about that when we approach life as if we are seeking happiness and we're coming from that place of happiness as we're living our lives, that things do go much more easily for us. So so we're in harmony with our true nature, which is this carefree, joyful way of living and this connection to our, our love that we want to express here. When we're doing that, then everything becomes easier. If your approach is spiritual, he says that success and affluence is the natural abundant flow of all good things to you. So if you have the knowledge and the practice of the spiritual law, that you are in harmony with yourself, with nature, with your creator, and you will enjoy carefreeness and joy and love. And that sounds pretty magical to me. It does, you know, because that really is what life is all about. I think that for me, this is how I feel like I don't really connect with the money thing, although, you know, money is important. I don't want to downplay that at all, but it's a form of energy that we use here in our lives. It's not everything. There's a lot more to success than just money. So it's also, you know, good health. This enthusiasm that we get up with every day and, you know, we carry forth into our life. This fulfillment of the relationships that we have and the freedom that we enjoy. And it's a lot of things. It's our emotions and our our sense of well-being, our, our peace of mind. All of those things are a part of our success. And he talks about that. He says that, True success is the experience of the miraculous. And that's, you know, that's amazing, but that's really what it is. When we are experiencing that which is our highest, our highest center of well-being comes from our source. And when we're experiencing that, it does feel like a miracle. It really does. Deepak points out that success is a journey, not a destination. And I'm sure you've heard this many times before in many different ways and sources. He suggests that material wealth is just one tiny aspect and that material abundance can make the desire and the journey more enjoyable. But if you don't seek these other wonderful things that Kira has just talked about, you are still going to be very unhappy and very shallow and not have your full expansive needs met. That true success is the process by which we all interact with the inner living flow. And I think in this book, particularly, he gives us actually the steps for how to connect with that inner stream of power that we have. And he mentions in many of his books, of course, the process of meditation. But it is out of connecting with that inner force that we begin to create everything that exists here in the outer. But it all starts there on the inner It begins there and our connection to that. And then that energy begins to manifest outwardly. It's basically the unfolding of that divinity within yourself and its expression in the outer world. Absolutely. That's pretty amazing. It's kind of (laughs) like man becomes God and God becomes man. It's it's pretty amazing. Yes. So it's sort of like we are sort of assisting God in its expression of itself. And believe it or not, each one of us is this loving presence. And we are so enmeshed in this pool of loving energy 
This is what we are. I mean, we are expressions of God itself. That's an amazing thing to think about. And some people might think it sounds a bit strange if they haven't heard that before. But really, this is what we are. And this is, I mean, how could you be joyful without understanding that? I mean, that it really is the connection to that energy. So blessed is the child who was raised knowing this from the very beginning. I've heard Deepak talk about how he raised his children to connect with what makes them happy, not to worry about how well they did in school or what the world would require of them so that they could become acceptable. But no, focus on what brings you joy and then how you can make that joy your service to the rest of the world. This is how he taught his children from the time they were young. And of course, they were very successful and they grew up to be successful young people and they do quite a lot of good with their lives. But this is how they were raised. They were raised to not really worry about it, but to know that they had this presence within them and that this was the most powerful presence in the universe. There was nothing for them to worry about. So they really did kind of grow up like those flowers in the field. You know, you've heard the story about flowers in the field that don't toil. They just do what comes naturally. And there you have it, success and well-being. Deepak defines the physical universe as the self curving back within itself and as a means to experience spirit, mind, and physical matter. So divinity using the physical to expand on and experience divinity and the human state of consciousness is merely a vehicle for the spirit to accomplish all this. So he says that consciousness in motion expresses itself as the objects of the universe in an external dance of life. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, and he says that the source of all creation is divinity, or the spirit, and the process of creation is divinity in motion, which is the mind. And the object of creation is the physical universe, which does also include our physical bodies. So it's kind of like a threefold process. But the power that's behind all of it is divine, and it correlates everything. So nothing can really be right. Nothing can be wrong. It's the duality that we have that only resides in the physical that allows us to differentiate from one state to another. It is said that a blind man who was blind from birth can never experience light and can never experience darkness. And people say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, he lives in darkness. How could he not experience darkness? We know he can't experience light, he can't see. Well, he cannot experience what darkness is because he has no relation to it, because he has no light. He has not got the sense of the light. So when you transmute from the physical, you see that the duality completely goes away. And one of the dichotomies of the physical is without the duality, we have no point of reference. Without high, we don't know low. Without hate, we don't know love. But these are only transitory things in the physical. As we bring our attention into divinity, into the gap, as he talked about in the previous book, Creating Affluence, we see that the power is really in the divine and the creation is really in the divine. And we are merely expressions of it on the physical side. Right. And the same laws that create the entire universe that we live within, these what you call natural laws, 
can also bring about the fulfillment of our deepest desires. And this is really where he's going with the book, is that we can learn to influence our own lives. We can learn to be co-creators here. So this is what he's laying out in the book as the principles for how this is done. So the first law is the law of pure potentiality. And in this one, he says that the source of all creation is pure consciousness or pure potentiality, the gap, as Bill just called it. And it's seeking expression from this unmanifest form to the manifest form. So when we realize that the true self is really nothing more than pure potentiality, and even saying nothing more denigrates it, but if we try not to define it even more deeply, then that true self is already totally aligned with all the power of all the universe, of all creation, and everything and everywhere. And it never leaves, is never abandoned, it's never judged, it is always loved, Always, always. Right. And that's the basis from which each and every one of us and each and every creature on this physical plane comes from. Exactly. It's like we all have this within us. This is the core of what we are. And we're expressing that same energy in a physical way. And this is our divine right because as a definition, we are pure consciousness. Which means that we do possess that same pure potentiality. Each and every one of us has infinite potential, and all possibilities are available to us. It's kind of interesting to think about, but it's so true. When we begin to really sit with that and really understand it, then that's when the power can begin to really go to work in our life to influence everything. It's like Bill said, the dance of life. It becomes sort of this huge synchronatic event and everything is correlated by this inner power and our wishes do begin to unfold. Well, as soul, if we are infinite and if we are unbounded, as Kieran and I have just expressed, then by definition also we are pure joy. So the things that happen to us in the physical, the things that the ego judges and makes hard, or sorrowful, or hateful, or any of the more negative emotions that it can possess or experience, we can shift our awareness back to soul, and back to the infinite, and the unbounded, and the pure joy. Absolutely. We're going to take a break here for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our podcast is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. BulletPad is a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list. Use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list or use zoom out to get the big picture view. BulletPad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for Bullet Pad. Now, you know, the ego likes to keep us mired in this fear band so that, you know, we're always self-doubting and, you know, this is all part of the world consciousness. This is not our higher consciousness. So the whole plan here is to teach us to begin to be what we already are, but have forgotten that we are. 
And so we already are this pure, happy entity, so to speak. It's, we're energy, basically. We have just kind of come to this world and forgotten. Some of our other attributes of soul are pure knowledge, infinite silence, perfect balance, invincibility, simplicity, and bliss. How many of us would like to just reach out there and grab some of those when we need them? Invincibility. Right. Or pure bliss. How about on a Saturday afternoon and you finished all your chores and you're kind of kicking back? How would you like to just reach out there and grab some pure bliss? And it's almost unbelievable to think that we have this kind of power. I think that's really why we need to spend time with it on a daily basis. And this is why Deepak Chopra teaches meditation as the pathway to this kind of understanding. Because it's really the only way. When you become still and you begin to experience that gap, then you feel it and you know it to be true. But when you don't take the time to do that, then you keep yourself divorced from that power, essentially, because you amass yourself in this world consciousness and you have no access And you can grow in baby steps. It is difficult for Western people in a Western culture and a Western mindset to experience success with meditation when they first start. So one little hint is to begin with creative daydreaming. And Karen and I have used this. In creative daydreaming, you let your mind go into its kind of off state, same as you're sitting daydreaming while you're at school or at work. Something happens in a natural way to make you think of another experience and you kind of go off into that experience and relive it, reimagine it, and then your boss or your teacher comes along and says, hey, where are you? Where'd you go on me there? With creative daydreaming, You set yourself the condition as opposed to accidentally going there or going there out of some context in what someone else was saying. You let your mind flow and let your mind wander, but you do it with your own direction. And again, you could go to a happy place. That's fine. You could daydream about the same things. Perhaps a summer place that was so popular to you, so lovable when you were young, or some wonderful experience that you had. And anything that makes you feel alive and feel loved and feel happy, those are the emotions that you want to maximize. And when you begin to do this, after a while, you do form this connection with this inner presence and you know that it's there. We're telling all of this in all these words, but really it just becomes a natural part of yourself such that you begin to experience yourself as a divine being and you begin to have this very centered and balanced kind of awareness. Now, Deepak calls this awareness self-referral. He says that it means that our internal point of reference is our own spirit and not the objects of our experience, like the situations and the circumstances and the people and the things in our life. We're actually referring to our own self. This part of us is immune to anything. We're not afraid when we're in this state of self-referral. We're not afraid of other people's criticisms. We don't really feel beneath anyone else. And at the same time, we also are somewhat humble. We have a respect for all people. And we don't feel that we're superior to anyone else. Because we recognize that everyone is this same self. We're talking about our higher self the spirit that runs through each and every one of us. And so this is what he calls self-referral. Now, the opposite to this 
he calls object referral. And this is where your reference point is now focused in and around your ego. And your ego is limited. Your ego only has a worldview. Your ego is primarily what's in it for me. Your ego is your self-image or your social mask. And it is the actual role that it thinks you are playing as opposed to your true self. So your ego thrives on approval. It seeks it in every situation. It wants to control things. And it is totally sustained by power. And all of these negative responses come from its basic level of fear. The ego is a fear-based entity. That's a main reason to try to move beyond the ego and begin living in the self or the soul part expression of your being. Your self-power is actually your true power, and it's permanent. It's not based on anything external. It wouldn't be anything to do with money or your job title or your fame or fortune or any of those kinds of things. Your self-power draws people and things that you want into your space. Essentially, your self-power is just another way of saying love. And that's what's left after all these other things are gone. So if you're chairman of General Motors and as that role you have a lot of power and you exert influence over thousands of people's lives and you meet with the public and you might be called to talk to the government. But when you are no longer chairman of General Motors, you're sitting on the park bench feeding the pigeons the same as any other person. And someone might recognize you but they certainly aren't interested in pulling up a news truck and finding out what your opinion is for that day and what's happening. But yet yourself is still there. Your inner power is still there. And if you cultivated this, you will not be adrift on an open sea. Exactly. Now, Deepak gives us three ways to cultivate this power or to access this field of potentiality, so to speak, within us. And the three ways are one, silence, two, meditation, and three, non-judgment. Silence means making time each day to simply be. This is away from speech or talk. It's away from the turbulence of what's going on in the outer world. It's away from your internal dialogue. You got to stop yourself talk here. So every once in a while, it's good to experience this. And he suggests that for a half an hour or for an hour or even perhaps a half a day or maybe extend it for a full day or perhaps extend it for a weekend. And for some people who go to retreats, they might try to do it for a whole week or even two weeks at a stretch. Here and I have read about people who've gone to India and registered with some of the gurus there and have spent a week, two weeks, three weeks in their retreats and in perfect total silence. We're not sure how we would do with that, but... <laughs> I know how you do with it, Bill. <laughs> well, we do like to talk, Bill and I. That's why we're podcast people. <laughs> we do a podcast. Another way of the second way, of course, is meditation, which is just another way of experiencing this kind of silence. But there are all different forms of meditation. Sometimes it's actually called contemplation. You may just take a particular subject and decide that you're going to ponder that for a while. 
There are many different forms of meditation, and almost every culture or pathway on the face of the earth has a form of this that is taught, and it is absolutely a way of praying. So, this is a way of connecting with the divine, and Deepak suggests that you do this ideally for a half hour in the morning and also for a half hour in the evening. And this begins to help you create this connection to the infinite power within you. And you'll be able to begin to start seeing spontaneously changes in your own life. And maybe you'll begin to start fulfilling some of your goals more easily. So this is just one of the practices that you can put in place to help you connect to that field. The third practice to access the field of pure potentiality is the practice of non-judgment. This is a toughie, and if you try it, be prepared to love yourself. Be prepared to start over again and again and again, because the practice of non-judgment involves no longer evaluating, no longer classifying, no longer labeling, no longer analyzing you or your fellow humans or their actions or inactions. Your habit of criticizing is part of judgmental, which you would then give up as well. He suggests try this for an hour, and then he suggests try it for an afternoon or a morning. He suggests try it for a whole day. (laughs) And again, it's kind of like the person who will put the rubber band on their wrist, and then every time they find themselves doing what they don't want to do, they snap this rubber band. And your wrist will probably be pretty sore at the end of the day. <laughs> Actually, I remember, as you mentioned, that rubber band, I remember there was a church that we visited one time, and these people had a purple wristband, and on the band it said, No Judgment. And I didn't know what that referred to, but now I see that that probably is this practice that they're putting into place. If you can practice this, the biggest thing that will happen for you is you will stop the karmatic connection with these negative actions. So as you judge, as you critique, as you do all the aspects which are part of judgment, you attach yourself in psychic ways, in an energy type of way, to every single thing that you're judging. It's kind of like you throwing out these little balls with Velcro on them, And they not only hit and touch the object that you're criticizing. Oh, that driver's terrible. Oh, my God. You see what that person did? Oh, my God. Oh, oh, that politician is terrible what they're doing. Gee, I hate what's happening with this new law and that thing. So all of your thoughts and all of your opinions are going out like these little fishhook barbs. And they're not only attaching to them, but... They're boomeranging from them back to you. So all those little Velcro things, they're hitting your Velcro Mm. coat and they're sticking to you. And it's kind of almost like, in some regards, it might even be old worries and objections that we are carrying that draw our attention to those things to begin with. We're still carrying certain old energies around that are attaching to those other thoughts. So we're attracting them by way of our own consciousness and not maybe being readily aware of that. But if you focus on it, and if you do try a non-judgmental approach to life, you will very quickly find how often that you judge. Mm -hmm. And you will be shocked. You will literally (laughs) be shocked. But Mm -hmm. by observing, you are beginning the process of moving to a new direction, of moving to a new way of life. And the more that you can leave the judgment behind, 
the more happiness that you will enjoy in your life. And you will be shocked also at the end of a short period of time how things are beginning to change. And right. you'll turn around and think, my gosh, <laughs> why didn't I start this 20 years ago? Right. But remember what Bill says, be willing to forgive yourself every time you fall short of your goal of um, not judging because it really is an integrated part of our life here in the outer. So once you've established these three habits, the habit of silence, meditation, and non-judgment, then Deepak says you can try this fourth one, and that is to regularly begin spending time communing with nature. And why does he want us to do this? Well, it's because it enables us to begin to sense the harmonious interaction and all of the elements and forces of nature. And we see that nature has its own perfect intelligence. It just sort of operates effortlessly. It does come readily from that field of potentiality. And everything that grows from the movement of the planets, the stars, the wind blowing, I mean, every single thing that takes place is taking place effortlessly by way of a natural process. So when you see that this is how nature provides, you begin to realize the same force is operating in your own life. And you begin to develop this trust in this force and know that it's absolutely there for you. It's a force that's connected with your highest and your best, and it operates for your highest and your best. So always trying to fulfill what is in your best interest. He actually defines nature as the lavish display of the abundance of the universe. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. The lavish display. Oh, I love the way he describes things, these words that Deepak uses. Just amazing. So stillness, he says, is one of the most powerful potentiality for creativity. So those of you who want to create something new for yourself, for mankind, and are feeling in the mood to bring something forth, think on stillness as the seed for that which you desire. Movement, he says, is creativity restricted to a certain aspect of experience. So movement tends to displace some of the creativity that you're trying to build to a critical mass. But if you combine both, the stillness and the movement, then you will actually unleash all of the creativity in all directions. And it will be wherever the power of your intention takes you. So it is in that combination that we are at our most creative state. He says, wherever you go, carry your stillness within you. And then the chaos around you cannot overshadow your access to this creative reservoir of the field of potentiality. It's always there for you. There's a poem, a very famous poem, that speaks to some of these higher states. It's by Rudyard Kipling, and it was written in 1895, and it's entitled If. And I'm just going to read it for you, and you can see the power that's behind this. I think Rudyard Kipling must have been in a very silent, contemplative state when he wrote this. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting 
or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give away to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up again with worn-out tools, If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at the beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there's nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. That's just amazing, Kira. Yep. It's just amazing. So that's sort of an illustration of what it's like to live on that higher road. We need to take a break for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our program is sponsored by App Judo, your complete web and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. App Judo follows these same principles in all its software development projects, using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. App Judo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, AppJudo can help make your project a success. Visit AppJudo today at www.appjudo.com. The next law that Deepak writes about in the book is called the Law of Giving and Receiving. The universe operates through dynamic exchange, he said. Nothing is static. Your mind, your body, and the universe are in constant dynamic exchange. If you stop this energy, stagnation results. It's like if you have an injury on your extremities, arm or leg, and you put a tourniquet on to keep the blood from seeping out, you have to let the blood flow every so often, or the blood stagnates, and the blood will coagulate, and you will lose that limb. So anything that stops flowing stagnates and will be destructive at that point and will die. Absolutely. He says that you have to both give and receive in order to keep your wealth and affluence or actually anything that you want circulating in your life. Every relationship that we have with whatever it is, a person, a thing, with money, it all entails give and take. And the giving of it engenders receiving, the receiving engenders the giving. So the more you give, 
the more you will receive. And I know every one of us has heard this adage many times in our lives. But anything that is of value will multiply when it is given. And that's kind of a new twist to the more that you give, the more you will receive. And sometimes, you know, we feel that we don't have a lot to give. I've been in that position in my life before. But, you know, you can always give something. You can give love. You can give a smile. You can give a hug. A compliment. Absolutely. A prayer. You can think well. You can give goodwill. We always have something we can give. If you feel that you are losing by giving, then you're not really giving. So if you feel that you're being diminished, then don't give that. Then give what you can give truly of your heart and truly of joy. And when you give truly of your heart and truly of joy, your gift is magnified many times over. Right. And one of the reasons that it's hard to give a gift that you're giving grudgingly, you can't benefit from that gift because that gift doesn't really have any energy behind it, or at least not any positive energy. So if you can't give a gift without wanting to hold on to it at the same time, it's better not to give it at all. Or to find something that you can give with joy and something that you can give with happiness. So a gift should intend joy and happiness for both the recipient and the giver. Happiness is so life-supporting and life-generating, and it therefore creates increase for both the giver and the receiver. Right. It's the joy in the giving, the energy that's behind it, that actually does create that increase. And it does create an increase many times over the value of what you're giving. So it comes back again with another old saying that the easiest way to get what you want is to help others to get what they want. And this is in pure joy and in pure bliss and being a pure channel to help other people get what they want. Not by calculating, oh, if I give somebody what they want, then I'll get, what can I get for me? (laughs) One of the things that Deepak does say is that to have a life that's richly blessed with all the good things in life, that we need to learn to silently bless everyone with all the good things in life. And yeah, that's the people you don't like as well. (laughs) What, you don't like somebody? (laughs) Oh, We really are just bundles of thought and a thinking universe, and thought does have the power to transform. So even the thought of giving, the thought of blessing, a simple prayer, all of this has power that can impact the lives of others. And it's important to remember that giving unconditionally is especially important even when you're giving thoughts and you're giving wishes and you're giving prayers. What do I mean by that? Well, in some religions, we want to pray for people. And it's kind of like walking the old lady across the street when she doesn't want to turn at that corner. (laughs) So we configure our prayer instead of saying, may the will of the inner prevail or may the goodwill for all take place. We preface that prayer instead with, I really hope they'll do this, and I really want them to do that, and I want them to love me, I want them to join my church, I want them to believe in my God, I want them to do this, and oh God, please help me to make sure that they follow in the steps and be like this, or be like me. That's not giving purely, and that's not giving unconditionally, and that's not giving with love. No, it isn't. 
And even when we think and we've been trained up to think that that is the proper thing to do, it is an invasion of someone else's privacy to do that. It is an invasion of their space. What we really want is to have other people have what they want. So the greatest thing we can do is to wish for them that they have the happiness that they are so entitled to, and whatever that means, in whatever way that they would get that happiness. You know, it reminds me of the movie about Mahatma Gandhi and how he was approached by someone who had killed someone, and he didn't know how he would ever be absolved of this terrible act. And Gandhi said he must go and take the child of that person and raise that child and raise it in that other person's religion, not yours. So this is really what it means. It means be willing to allow others to be who they are. Deepak suggests that any time that you come in contact with anyone else, make a practice to give them something. So this sounds like, wow, what I could do, carry like, you know, five gifts around with me all the time. <laughs> but again, it doesn't have to be a material gift. When you meet this person, you can have in your repertoire the idea of finding something that you can compliment them about, finding something that you can pass to that person, which is very pleasant and very happy. Perhaps pass them a happy story if you can't find something to compliment them about. It should not be an insincere form of compliment. Otherwise, it will not be properly received. I think sometimes the most important gift that we can give others is our attention. People sometimes will light up just to have quality attention from you. Quality, loving attention. They want to be listened to. They want to be acknowledged. You know, and this is a wonderful gift to give someone. Last night we went to dinner and a friend, when we parted, handed me this little spatula and it had a smiley face. The spatula portion of it is shaped like a smiley face. (laughs) And this is just like, I'm sure it was probably one of those little dollar store gadgets, but you know, it will bring me a great deal of happiness and I will always think fondly of this person every time I look at it. So it's a wonderful little thing to do. Whenever you're invited to someone's home, whether for dinner or some other occasion, that you take a gift. So again, you ask yourself, well, okay, so do I, you know, the old idea of bringing wine to dinner, that's a gift. But if you're in a situation where this is not feasible for you at this time, he suggests a flower, something as simple as a single flower, or a compliment, or a prayer, as Kira said. I think it's the intention of giving happiness that makes the most powerful gift. It's like it doesn't have to be a big thing, but you want to give someone else joy and and recognition that you love them. That's really what a gift is. And in the giving, as we're giving, we're receiving. We are always receiving as we are giving. It's just like an exchange of energy that takes place instantly. And the other thing that you're constantly doing when you're giving is you're implanting into your subconscious the idea that you have something to give. In that regard, the universe will be saying, yes, you like this. I'll give you some more that you can give. And this is how it works. And it does bring harmony and happiness to your life as you do this. You'll find that just the process of looking for things to give away, whether it's a compliment or whether it's attention or just listening to another person, will begin to light up your life and begin to make you feel happier than you have in a long, long time. I want to end just by saying one more thing that he mentioned in this one law of giving and receiving. He says that we are already inherently affluent 
and that within you is the consciousness that knows how to fulfill every need, joy, love, laughter, peace, harmony, and knowledge. Seek these things first for yourself and all others, and all else will come to you spontaneously. So that's two of the seven laws, and we're going to stop here, and we're going to let you obtain the book for yourself. Again, it's the seven spiritual laws of success, the practical guide to the fulfillment of your dreams by Deepak Chopra. We're sure that you'll enjoy it, and we're sure that you will come up with so many things of your own, especially when you take a look at the following five laws. And we hope you have the best success. Absolutely. That's what this book is about. Bill and I want to thank you again for being with us today. And we want you to know that you can subscribe to our podcast by going to iTunes Podcast and look for Book Talk, produced by the Better Living Institute. And you can also find us on our own website at www.betterlivinginstitute.com. And there you'll find all of our podcasts and articles and products and including a link to buy this book if you'd like to do so. And we do benefit a little bit if you do buy your book that way. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you'll share it with your friends and your family. And that's our podcast for today. So for the Better Living Institute, this is Kira Van Ittersum with Bill Van Ittersum. So long for now, everyone. So long. So long.